Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this webinar. I am Rick Thomas. I am glad that you are here. I am talking about in the webinar communication. It is the most common reason that a person would come for counseling to people or having communication problems. But in this webinar, I am not going to be dealing with, at least not primarily, about best practices, tips and tricks, how to communicate on a behavioral level. I will talk about that some, but if you want to address communication problems, there are two ways to address it. You can give a person communication tips and they can try those. In most cases, uh, those tips do not last. They are not sustainable because they haven't dealt with the root causes of improper communication. So in this webinar, I want to focus primarily on root causes. So I want to take this idea of communication from the surface level, bring it down to the heart level, and get to the very bottom the basis, the foundation for our communication. So that is what this webinar is about. I have titled it True Community. The subtitle is Enjoying Each Other in a Relational Adventure. Now, as we move into this idea of foundational communication, one of the things that I would like for you to do is to frame your mind around what do you want when it comes to communication. Now, this webinar applies very well to a husband and wife, but it has broader application than just the marriage. It also applies to parents and children, siblings, friends to friends, church context, any other type of relationship where two or more people are gathered. And so if you want to communicate well, one of the things that you would want to think about is what do you want in this relationship as far as communication? Well, I want to give you a, a few ideas to help stimulate your thinking as we move through the webinar. Communication implies intimacy. I'm not talking about physical intimacy, but I'm talking about an intimacy to where you get to know a person at a deeper level. You can already sense that we're going places. We're going down to the foundation. Not just the basic, how are you? I am doing fine. How are you doing? I am good. That is the superficial level. That is not intimate at all. I'm also talking about transparency. Our tendency is to wrap ourselves up in Adamic fig leaves and to live in the shadows at some kind of a social distancing measure because we don't want to be realized for who we are at our inner person. And so when you start talking about intimacy and transparency, and then, of course, honesty, you realize that this is, a, this is a communication challenge for many of us, but I think it's appropriate that we are challenged from time to time. Also implied in this level or depth of communication, we're talking about vulnerability. Now, you can sense the reciprocality of the relationship. 
communication is two people communicating with each other. And so it can't just be one person being vulnerable and the other person being disinterested or not willing to steward that vulnerability. Both people have to be game on. They have to have their minds right about what communication is at this level because a part of it is vulnerability and both of them have to be willing to go to this place. Otherwise, if only one is and the other one is not, then you can't have this kind of communication with that person because there is a depth to it. Obviously, it will change your life as well, and you can sense genuineness in the relationship because now you are on the other side of the curtain. You are beyond the barriers, beyond the fig leaves that we hold up in order to protect ourselves. There is a genuine quality to the relationship that I'm calling all of us to in this webinar. And of course, the person senses that the other individual cares for them. When you go to this level with a person, it is a caring relationship, which is a wonderful thing. Obviously, it is dynamic. Uh, it is shifting and moving because you don't know where you're going in the relationship. You don't know what is beyond the curtain. It's kind of like walking in a maze but I'm saying that in the most positive sense. It is an adventure, as I mentioned in the subtitle. It is a relational adventure. So it is a dynamic relationship. You could almost insert the word pneumatic here as well. There's a pneumatos to the relationship as, a, as opposed uh, to a staid or artificial or structured relationship. It is dynamic. Obviously, it would be forgiving as well because as we go deeper with each other, we're going to uh, understand, we're going to see pretty soon that there are things that need to be exchanged transactionally. Forgiveness would be the call. If you aren't willing to be forgiving at this level, then well, the person's not likely to be vulnerable or transparent or intimate or honest or genuine. And of course, there won't be life change as well. Spiritualness is obvious. And then, of course, honoring God. And so these are just some of the labels that I wanted to put out there for you to think about this idea of communication. And as you can sense through these words, and perhaps you could add others, you would want to add others, you realize this is something that is truly different from what we see on our normal day-to-day -day interactions. And so what do you want? Now, another way to get your mind around this is by thinking about what you don't want or what this kind of communication or community is not. And so I want to give you a few ideas of what it is not or what it is not necessarily. For example, being married doesn't automatically mean that you're going to have this kind of communication. There would be many people that are watching this webinar or listening to this webinar, and they're thinking, well, what you have just described on the previous panel 
is like, no, I'm married and we don't have those things. And that's why I mentioned that it's not necessarily being married. It's not automatic that you're going to have this kind of communication as many spouses would testify. Also, it's not necessarily sharing common interest. Like, say, you both love baseball. I love baseball, and I could share at length about baseball, and I can share the history of baseball, and I can talk about so many of the players who who have participated in baseball, and that is something that we have could have in common, but that's not necessarily getting down to a life-change, vulnerable, reciprocal, intimate, transparent level. And so just because that you're doing coffee with someone and sharing something that you have in common, it doesn't necessarily mean it's this kind of community. Also study in the Bible. You know, you can hide behind your Bible. You can talk about the goodness of God. You can talk about that golden nugget that you have dug out of Scripture today. You can talk about one of your favorite verses in the Bible and not reveal anything about yourself. And so it's not necessarily being married, sharing common interests, studying your Bible, or even attending a local church. There are people that, there are married couples, for example, who carry their Bibles to their local churches for 30 years, and they don't enjoy this kind of community. And then one more of what true community is not, or it is not necessarily being in a small group. And so participating in any of these types of contexts does not necessarily mean that you can have what I am calling true community. And so what is it? Well, first of all, true community is unique, and I will explain what I mean by that in in just a moment. Also, it is intrusive. Well, as you have already discerned, based on some of the descriptors that I have used, if you're going beyond the barrier on the other side of the curtain, getting inside them fig leaves or beyond the fig leaves, you know that someone is going to be intruding into your life. It is participation. I talked about that earlier, where two people are actively participating in this kind of communication. I was speaking of vulnerability earlier, and I was saying that both people have to be ready and willing to participate because it can't just be a one-sided affair. And so both people are actively engaged. And of course, there is an intentionality, which is critical, meaning you are thinking about this. This is on the tip of your tongue. It's on the edge of your mind where you want to have this kind of communication with another individual. Obviously, it is relational, and as you can imagine, it is uncomfortable, or it will be at, at times, even though it can be completely exhilarating and wonderful, uh, there is also an uncomfortableness about it because of the kind of sharing that you are doing. And you could add the word dangerous here. And the connotation of dangerous in this context is not where you're going to be hurt, where physical harm is just around the corner. 
But go back to the word vulnerability again. There is a risk factor involved whenever you step out at this level to see if another person is willing to go there with you. You can sense the danger. The word that I am talking about is koinonia. Koinonia is the word for community. You see it in Scripture as the word fellowship. You see it in Scripture as the word participation. And that's why I used participation in the previous slide. Koinonia is participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. Now, that is a heady theological definition of communication. I want to break it down for you, but I wanted to trot it out there first so that you can start thinking about this level of communication. Koinonia, participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. All right, so let me give you a, an illustration of what I mean by our union with Christ. And so we have Christ here in this picture of on the webinar where he, he is everything. He is the whole. And if you want to experience completeness or wholeness, well, we have to be in union with him. And so in this illustration, we have Lucy, who, who would be my wife. Her real name is Lucia, but we affectionately sometimes call her Lucy. And of course, I am Ricky. We are outside of Christ. Ricky and Lucy are outside of Christ. And then at some point in time, God imposed himself into our lives and regenerated us. Therefore, we are in Christ. Now we are in union with Christ. And so if you want to participate in the most in-depth and purest form of communication, or koinonia is the Greek word here, then you have to be in union in Christ as this picture demonstrates. Therefore, koinonia is participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ, as that picture just pointed out to you. And so now the question is, why union in Christ? Why does that matter? Well, let me answer that a few ways here. The only way that you can have this type of communication is by being in union with Christ. And the reason is, is, well, one, you need God's life. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Two people who are dead cannot have life giving, life-altering, vibrant communication. Two dead people can talk, but we also know, as Paul continued to share with us what it's like being dead in our trespasses and sins, if you go 
past Ephesians 2 to Ephesians 4, he says that we Gentiles formerly were futile in our thinking, that we were darkened in our minds. He told the Corinthians that the natural person does not perceive or discern or understand the things of God. So there is a built-in limitation in how much you can communicate and participate in communication if you are not in union with Christ, meaning you are not born again, you are not alive. And so in order to communicate this way, you have to be alive We need God's life. Number two, why union in Christ? Because we need God's power. We need enabling. Within ourselves, we are self-limited people. We are not able to push beyond the barriers that we have as human beings. But if God is in us, God is an overcomer, and we can overcome the world. We can overcome worldly ways. We can overcome the limitations of communication if we have God's power activated inside of us. And so why is it important to be in union with Christ in order to have this kind of koinonia? One, we need God's life. Two, we need God's power. Number three, we need God's light or illumination. I talk about that with our mastermind students as we we train them in the skill of discipleship or, or counseling, as some people would call it. When you are talking to an individual and you want to help them to move along in their sanctification, to mature up in Christ, well, you don't have the insight that you need. You need light. You need illumination. You need to walk in the light as God is in the light. God is the light. And so as you are discipling someone, you're asking God to illuminate your mind, to bring Scripture alive and connect it to this unique person that is in front of you. That is a higher level of communication that you can only have if God's light is turned on, if the Holy Spirit is illuminating you. And so why is the union of Christ important when it comes to this deepest of level of communication? We need God's life, we need his power, we need his light, and we need his gifts. God gives us gifts. These gifts permit us to be able to interact with people in supernatural ways. Let me give you a, a just a list of a few things that God provides for us as far as gifts are concerned. He gives us courage. He gives us courage. It takes courage to be able to communicate at times. Things that you want to say, places that you want to go with an individual is not for the timid, the weak, the fearful. God gives us that enabling power where we have courage. God gives us wisdom. And then also you can go to Galatians 5 and you can read those nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit. I'll give you four of those. You know them very well. Patience and self-control and joy and kindness. Those are key components 
when it comes to having intimate koinonia with another individual. You need patience, self-control. You need joy and kindness. These are gifts that God gives. And so being in Christ sets you on another plane to be able to communicate in a way that dead people can't. We have his life, his power, his light, and, and his gifts. Those are four reasons why we need union in Christ. Now, with those things said, there are conditions for true community. There, there's a table that has to be set, and if the table is set a, a certain way and you are in union with Christ and you're intentional and your desire is to have true community, well, you need to make sure that these conditions are in place. For example, if you're not born again, then you can't go there with another individual. This is why I said a while ago that this type of quantania, the purest form of communication that there is, is unique. And what I meant by unique is you have to be born again. As I was just saying in the previous panel, about our union in Christ, which enables us to do the things that I, I mentioned there, well, you have to be alive in order to go there, in order to possess these things, is why I was saying that you could be married and not have this kind of communication because the other person is not a believer. And so it would be an alive person trying to have koinonia with a dead person, spiritually speaking, of course. And so if one of the persons is not born again, you can't have koinonia. Another condition for true community is that if a person is a nominal believer, in name only. Now, maybe they are a believer, or maybe they aren't but they aren't fully committed, whether they are or aren't, they aren't, they are not committed to being a Christian. And, and things like intentionality won't be there. Uh, th there will be a fear factor. There will be an uh, inhibition around vulnerability. There will be a lack of genuineness if the person is a non nominal believer. And so if they're not born again or a nominal believer or if there is hidden sin, in Psalm 32, David talked about God's heavy hand being upon him when he kept silent about his sin. A person who has hidden sin, that's not confessing that sin, not getting that sin off of them and away from them. And you begin that process by confessing, and then you begin to walk out repentance. But rather than doing that, you hold on to it. You hide that sin where you're being proud. And in James 4, 6, James says that God opposes the proud person. How can you have true koinonia when God is a warring army against you, which is what that term means, when God opposes you? And so if God is a warring army, he is pushing against you. It would be like walking in the strongest, walking against the strongest wind that you have ever experienced. You're trying to move forward and be free, but the wind is blowing you as hard as it can, and it's keeping you from progressing. God is is opposing the proud. And if God is opposing you, 
then that sets in, that's a built-in limitation to the kind of communication that you could have with another person, say like your spouse. And so the conditions for true community is that you have to be born again. You cannot be a nominal believer. There cannot be hidden sin. I am not saying that you have to be perfect. But it is a person who is willingly leading, leaning into repentance regularly. The Christian life is repentance. You must be born again and ongoing repenting in our sanctification. And so if a person is living on the edge of repenting and just always uh, repenting, uh, living a confessional lifestyle, well, then they won't be perfect, but they're in the best place they can, and they have God they have God empowering them because it's different from the person who is willfully hiding sin. And the person who is hiding sin will eventually, they will begin to go dull to hard. They will be dull of hearing because of the, the sin uh, that they have in their life. They will be pressing the truth out of their lives, which is what Paul said in Romans 118. And as they press the truth out of their lives, well, their conscience will begin to to dull, to harden. In Hebrews 3, 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, or maybe 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2, the verse of scripture that talks about the conscience that is seared by a hot Iron. And so if you continue to hide sin in your heart, you will go dull. You'll not just go dull, you'll go hard eventually. And then another condition for true community is willingness. You cannot be unwilling, going back to the intentionality aspect of this kind of community, or if there is fear. Now, it's kind of like hidden sin. Are you saying that I have to be perfect? No, I'm not saying that at all. Are you saying there cannot be any fear? No, I'm not saying that at all. We, When you talk about this kind of participation in the Spirit, this kind of participation with another human being, there will be the inhibition effect. Uh, we will be inhibited by having this kind of vulnerability with another person. But it's a matter of accent marks, and so if faith and fear are in the same sentence as they will be, where is the accent mark? Is it on faith or fear? The fear-centered person will have a hard time moving forward in this kind of communication. But the faith-centered person will move forward even though there will be temptations to fear. And so when I say that a condition for true community if there is fear, you can't have this kind of quantania. I'm talking about a controlling fear, not the echo of fear or the shadow of fear that hangs around our lives like all the time, but a person that is truly leaning into faith, even though they are well aware that fear could, is crouching at the door, but yet they don't give into it. And so if the person is not born again, if the person is a nominal believer, if there is hidden sin, if there is dullness, if there is unwillingness on the, on the part of one of the individuals, if there is a controlling fear, and then finally, if there's a lack of trust. You remember vulnerability? Well, if you're going to share your soul with someone, if you're going to start peeling back the fig leaves of your life, then you want to make sure that this person that you're talking to is, is trustworthy. 
This is one of the keys, again, that we talk to our mastermind students about, is that when you are counseling someone, you want to build that relational bridge to them. In counseling, many times you have hard things that you need to say. You you believe you're compelled to say difficult things to the person because they need to hear it. Well, if you haven't built that relational bridge to them, and when you start carrying the the heavier truths across to them because the trust has not been built, well, then the bridge will collapse. The relationship will go into chaos. There has to be trust. And so in order to get to this place of koinonia, you have to begin building trust in the relationship. And you do that over time. And as that trust grows, it it is a, a fortification, uh, like the bridge. And it is a strong fortification. And then the heavier truth can sit on top of that, or you can carry that truth across to the other person and enjoy the beauties of a deepening relationship. And so if there's a lack of trust, well, trust is a condition for true community. And so true community is sharing the one common thing that is at the deepest level of your soul with another person. Now, that's a new definition, and I want to carefully walk through this definition. So you have the conditions for communication. You have some of the descriptors for communication. You have what it is and and what it is not. Now, let's get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. What is true koinonia? Well, here's the definition. It is sharing the one common thing that is at the deepest level of your soul with another person. So it's two people coming together, and each one of them have the most precious treasure that they could possibly have, and they want to share that treasure. They want to share their most precious treasure with the other person. That is true community. Let me illustrate what I am talking about. And so in order to have true community, first of all, you have to define what is your most precious treasure. And as you think about your most precious treasure, I trust that you automatically, uh, you come to one answer and everybody has the same answer. Our most precious treasure that we have is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There is nothing more precious than God, our Lord. There is nothing that transcends that, meaning there's nothing higher than that. And so you have a relationship with God. And so in this graphic that I am looking at right now in the webinar, uh, I have a relationship with God and Lucia has a relationship with God, and it is a reciprocal relationship. God speaks to me through his word, and I learn about him. Of course, I learn about him from others as well, but I'm learning about him. And of course, he knows everything there is to know about me. We know 
each other. You remember Hebrews uh, chapter number four, verse 13, that all things are naked and all things are exposed to him, that he knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And so we have a relationship with God and he knows everything about us and we are learning so much about him and that's the beauty of the relationship. But also with that, there is a positive and there is a negative side to our individual relationships with the Lord. And when I say positive and negative, what I'm saying is, is that there are areas in our lives where we are appropriating God's grace to our lives, where we're gaining victories, where we are maturing, where we are putting off the old man and his deeds and putting on that new person who is Christ. That is the positive side of our relationship with Christ. But if we're going to be honest, we also know that there is a negative side. And when I say negative, I mean there are areas where we have not gained victory. There are areas where we're not doing as well as we should be. There are things about us that need to change because we have not, we have not perfected our walk with Christ yet. And so you can say in, in this context that there are two sides of our relationship with God. There is a positive and there is a negative. And then Lucia has a relationship with God, and in that way, it is exactly like mine. There is a positive aspect of her walk with the Lord, areas where she is appropriating His grace. She is changing by the day, by the moment, by the season, by the year. She is changing, growing, maturing, but she's not perfect. And so there is a negative side to her relationship. There are weaknesses. There are vulnerabilities. There are life-dominating sins, just like in, in my life, things that she really needs to grow into and change as I do too. And that is the most accurate descriptor of our unique and individual relationship with the Lord. Now, koinonia is when we are sharing the most precious thing that we have in common. Now, the most precious thing that we have in common is our relationship with God. And if we are going to share our relationship with God, and if we're going to do it in a quantania kind of way, it means that we're going to be sharing the positive things about our experience with God. And it also means we're going to be sharing the negative things about our relationship with God. True community is when two people come together and they share the most precious thing that they have in common. The most precious thing is their relationship with God. And there are two aspects about that relationship. There's a good side, a light side, and a dark side. Now, the temptation for all of us is just to share the positive side of our relationship with God. And so we meet each other on Sunday morning, and we ask each other, how are we doing? And we say, well, we're doing, I am doing great. God is so good. I was reading scripture this week, and this is what God was sharing with me through his word. And this is how I was affected, and it was so wonderful, and I just feel the joy of the Lord. Now, all of that can be accurate, but it's only one side of our relationship with God. 
True koinonia is when we share our complete experience with God, with another person. Now, the means of doing this. The word means means a vehicle. A means is something that takes you from point A to point B. And so with a clear definition, a clear picture, as I've presented here in this webinar, of what true community looks like, sharing your most precious treasure, the thing that you have in common with another person because both of you are alive, is not an alive person sharing with a dead person because you can't share your complete experience with God because a dead person doesn't have a doesn't have an experience with God because they they're dead and they reject God they are alienated from God so they can't share God because they don't know God and so it's two people who are born again and they're sharing their full experience with the Lord with each other well you need a means to do that a way to now move from point A to point B in the relationship here are some ways here are some means for enjoying true community. One is worshiping God together. And that is a delightful experience. That is a positive experience as you are worshiping the Lord, sharing your experience with the Lord with another person in community as you're worshiping Him together. Arms up if, if that's what you prefer or prostrate on, on the ground or however you worship God together. And then another is praying for each other and praying with each other. There is vulnerability when it comes to praying with each other. Sometimes in marriage counseling where a couple is not getting along and there are breakdowns in communication, that is one of the assignments that I give them. Sometimes I will say it like this. I want you to sit on the, the end of your bed in your bedroom and I want you to hold hands, and I want you to pray for and with each other. I want you both to talk to God. One of you lead and start. The other one then uh, prays, and you both pray together because there is a vulnerability there. And, and, and God is a part of that. And so there is this threefold aspect of this kind of community Koinonia, biblical koinonia, is like, say, husband, wife, and God. And so it's three of you together because you, you are sharing your experience with God. So God is very much there. And one of the ways that, one of the means that you can enjoy true community is when you are praying with each other. And then if you're holding hands, it just makes it even more intimate. And for some couples, I give this to them give this assignment to them so that they can start breaking down those walls uh, that keep them from being vulnerable with each other. So you can worship God together. You can pray for and with each other. You can share your spiritual gifts. If God has given you a gift, then you share that with your friend, your spouse, well, then you're sharing your relationship with God. You're sharing a gift that he has given you. You're sharing it with your spouse, for example. Uh, that is one means to true community. Of course, sharing your burdens, the things that are important to you, maybe things that you struggle with. You're giving them insight. You're letting them inside, behind the door of some of the things that you struggle with. And so you are saying, hey, 
here's something that I am struggling with. Maybe it is a sanctification issue in your life or is something or someone who is important to you who is struggling and and you want to share that with your friend where that kind of intimacy, that is koinonia. And then, of course, similar to that is sharing your experiences. And that would be at the heart of what I was describing a while ago with true koinonia, where you are sharing both sides of your relationship with God. Here is my experience. This is what, this is what happened to me this week. This is how I processed it. God did a wonderful thing for me, and it was it was victorious. But then there was another aspect of, of what was going on where I was fearful and I was intimidated, and I didn't take the stand that I should have. I didn't do the way I should have if I were appropriating God's grace in my life. And so I want to share that with you so that you will know more about me. You'll know more about my strengths and my weaknesses and my struggles. And so sharing your experiences with another person is a means to enjoy true community. And then another way is confessing your sins. Confessing your sins. Just sharing with the other person. Now, this this really has to be happening uh, within a marriage. And And I'm not just talking about when you sin against your spouse. Of course, you would confess that. But it's similar to sharing your experiences or sharing your burdens that was on the other panel that I just showed you. Confessing your sins. There is a humility there. And I'm not talking about putting it out on social media. I'm not talking about a person with no social filter or whatever. It's sharing with the appropriate people. In this case, in this context, I'm talking about a person who is willing to go there with you. The trust is there. This is a unique individual that you're building koinonia with. This is far, it's a far cry from social media and sharing the deep, dark secrets of your life out in cyberspace. I'm not talking about that at all. And then similar to sharing or confessing your sins, sharing secrets incrementally. And I added that incrementally because there are two ditches here. There's the person who's totally clammed up and they don't share anything about their lives. And then there is the other person who has no social filter and they just share all kinds of stuff out on cyberspace. Somewhere in the middle is is wisdom. And perhaps you could think of this like in the dating relationship. You see, in the dating relationship, you begin shallow. Hi, my name is Rick. What is your name? And as you move into the relationship, you begin to share more with that person incrementally. And then eventually you marry that person and you continue to share more. And so you're leaning that way where you are revealing more and more and more of yourself. Now, that is a 50-year journey of incrementalization of sharing secrets. Uh, you don't meet a person on the first date and just share all everything that you ever thought. That would be foolish. But because you want to build a ever-deepening quantania with this person, there is the incremental sharing of things that they may not know about you. So confessing your sins, sharing your secrets incrementally, correcting each other. And if you truly have quantity at this level or you're building into it, then 
If you love that person enough, then you want to bring corrective care to that individual. And of course, the other person receives that corrective care because they know that you love them and that you care as you have demonstrated that, not just by correcting them, but also being vulnerable and transparent yourself. That's the reciprocality, and so you receive the corrective care of the other person and then serving each other practically. And so these are some of the means for enjoying true community, and perhaps you could add to this list. And now I want to share with you some excellent quantania questions, some things that you could ask your spouse that or friend that you could ask two people who are building at this level uh, in their lives. And, and these starter, this is a starter pack uh, that can move you toward a ever-deepening quantania. And if you have this conversation, if you watch this webinar together and say, this is what we want to do, then you definitely want to uh, use these questions. The questions themselves will not... They're not world-shaking questions, okay? But if you hear the questions in light of everything that I've that I've just said, then you have the context for the questions, and of course, the questions then become meaty, weighty, heavy, and full of of all sorts of opportunities. And so here is one: I am struggling. Will you help me in this? And then, of course, you fill in the blank. What specific area are you struggling? Now, if you are building koinonia with the other person and you're at this place, this is a very normal question for koinonia. It's an extremely practical question. And then this brings in one of the elements that I mentioned earlier about life change. You see, quantania can bring life change if you're building that way with another person. And so you say, I'm struggling. Will you help me in this specific area? It is a person that you have been doing life with. You have built all the safety measures into it, and you know that they're going to reciprocate. And so now you're willing to step into that level of vulnerability because you want to mature in Christ, and so you bring a an aspect of your relationship with God out into the light for another person so that y'all can work on it together. Now, another question could be, how can I serve you? And as I was saying that you could ask this question, and it's so generic and so vague and so broad and maybe even empty. But then if you ask it in the context of what I'm sharing in this webinar here, how can I serve you, then that person is going to be practically specific. Uh, they would say things that they might not say to any other person. They're thinking at a different level because they know what you are asking. This is a quantania question, and so it could be a very general, vague question that really doesn't have any impetus and it doesn't go anywhere, or it could be a fully charged question that cause the other person to be transparent, to expose an aspect of their life that may have been previously hidden, and they want to share that with you because they know that you do want to serve them. 
and they know that you will come along and that you will speak into it and you will help carry the weight of whatever that may be. And so you want to be practically specific when you ask the question, when you respond to the question, how can I serve you? Another question is, what is God doing in your life? Now, remember, uh, if you're doing koinonia with the person, you're not just going to share, God is good, God is great. You're not just going to share the positive side of your experience with the Lord, uh, but you're going to share your full experience with God. That may mean that you're going to share something that they did not anticipate, that you're going to share an area that uh, where you're weak and you're struggling. Now, I'm not saying that every quantania opportunity or every quantania question is you're on some kind of sin hunt. This is not a sin-centered privilege that we have with a limited number of people who want to do quantania. But there is an element to it where there is a negative side to our relationship with God in the context of what I was speaking to where when someone asks, what is God doing in your life, you may not be glowing and you may not be sharing something that is super positive and something that we tend to hear on Sunday morning, there may be something else that you're sharing that's a little a little bit darker, but you are burdened by it and you want you won't help. Another question is, how is God helping you in a specific area of sin? Another question is, in what areas are you still struggling? And then one more, what are you learning and how is it helping you change? Some of these questions are very similar, but I just wanted to tease them out so that you can get your mind around excellent community questions. There is one that's not listed here, and it's one that uh, I have asked Lucia repeatedly uh, throughout the years in context of, of what I'm talking about here in Quantania. And the question that I ask her more than any of these questions that you see here on the screen is I ask her, how is her soul today? How is her soul? We are a dichotomy of body and, and soul. And so I ask, how is your soul? And that, and that can be a vague, broad question. But if you understand it as a quantania question, you know that you can answer it in any way that you want to. You could talk about your soul as a basket word that houses all the parts of your non-organic being. And so you can answer that question however you want to. You can talk about your thoughts, your intentions, your will, your conscience, your your fears, uh, your motivations. There's so many different ways of just answering that one question if you understand koinonia. Now, there are hindrances to true community. And so if you want to do true koinonia, you have to understand that there can be hindrances involved, and you may have to address these hindrances before you could ever get to the place of enjoying consistent koinonia. For example, reputation, as you might imagine. If you're stuck on your reputation, where you're really overly concerned about what people think about you, or if you're presenting an image of yourself, which is our tendency for people who live on the outside of the fig leaves, and they keep what's behind the fig leaves tucked away and hidden, then that is a person who is reputation-centered. And so they have a carefully crafted image of themselves, and that is their reputation. And they want people to be impressed with the reputation the carefully edited version of themselves. And if that's who an individual is, then, well, you can't have true community at all. Another that is similar to reputation is fear of man, as we see in Proverbs 29, 25. 
The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts the Lord is safe. And this illustration of fear of man is that you crave acceptance or approval or significance or respect or love from someone, or you're afraid of being rejected by someone. And if any of those things are true toward a specific individual, then you will be guarded, you will be measured. And you will not be willing to reveal some parts, aspects of you. Your full relationship with God will be on hold. You will not share with another person because you don't know if they will reject you. You don't know if they will continue to love you or accept you or to approve of you if you struggle with fear of man. That is a definite hindrance to true community. Self-centeredness is obvious. Uh, You can't be the hero of your story. Christ must be the hero of the story. You must be Christ-centered, not self-centered to have this kind of communication. And then apathy, which is not a Bible word, but everybody, I think, understands what the word is. There is a relational detachment there. There is a lack of caring. As far as a biblical descriptor of what apathy is, the word the word means it's, it's biblical. Hate is what it is. Words fit into one or two categories, love or hate, apathy. It doesn't straddle the fence because apathy is not love. And so apathy fits in the hate category, and that's why you define it as biblically hateful. And that's helpful because hopefully that will motivate a person to want to repent because apathy is our way of rounding the corners off of our hate and making it sound better than it really is And we're not convicted by it. And there's no movement. There's no confessional movement to want to change or or to alter. Uh, And we just say that I'm apathetic. But when you put it in the hate camp or the hate category, hopefully it will move the needle uh, toward repentance. But if you're apathetic toward a person, well, you don't care. And you're not going to do kononia. And then there is fear. Now, I talked about fear of man, but in this case, I'm using fear, and I'm talking about fear of vulnerability, uh, wanting to be weak, not wanting to be weak, not wanting to appear foolish. And, of course, Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the weakness of God is stronger than men, and the foolishness of God is wiser than men. But sometimes in our human-centric ways of thinking about things and exposing ourselves and being vulnerable— appropriately to the right person, well, we have a fear. We don't want to be vulnerable, and that is a hindrance to true community. And then, of course, craving for control. Uh, People who have to be in charge, uh, then you will not put yourself in a vulnerable position because uh, you're a person that really has to be uh, leading and in charge and in control of everything. All of these are hindrances. Reputation, fear of man, self-centeredness, apathy, fear, and craving for control. Now, with all of these things in mind, you want to start exporting true community to someone. And it's important to understand that everybody that you talk to will not be all warm and fuzzy about this. And so it's kind of like an exploration or an expedition where you are You're looking for that one person who wants to go there with you. And it could be one in a hundred. That may be the ratio. But more people will not want to do this than be willing to do it. 
And so as you do it, you have to be thinking about uh, what it is. You have to be able to articulate it. And so the first question that I would ask you is to define true community. Or right now, could you define true koinonia? Take all the things that I've, I've mentioned thus far and, and have your own working definition of koinonia. Now, the way that I have defined it is that it is you sharing the most precious thing that you have, which is your relationship with God, and you're sharing it with another person who has that, that common treasure, and that is true community. But you need to work out your own definition so that uh, you won't be able to export it if you can't define it. And so one of the questions that you want to think about as you're getting ready to export it, what does it look like in your life? I mean, are you practicing it? Are you willing to practice it? Do you put yourself in the context where you can practice it like worshiping together or, or praying together? And you have removed the hindrances like reputation and, and control and fear and fear of man. And so what does it look like in, in your life? What does it look like in your family? And, of course, that is a goal. That is a huge goal that you want to be able to export it to your if, – if you're a parent, you want to export it to your children. If you're a spouse, you obviously want to export it to your spouse. What does it look like with your friends? And then finally, what does it look like in your church? And so these are some of the contexts where you want to be able to export it. And I've broken these things out, these contexts, to what does it look like in your life personally? What does it look like in your family? What does it look like with your friends? What does it look like in your church? And so the circles get bigger and bigger. But all of that is on the heels of first being able to define it. What is it? And then how are you exporting it? Uh, to the community. Let me wrap up with just a few questions uh, that tend to come up when I talk about communication at this level. How honest should I be with others? Well, you want to be appropriately honest. I talked about being incrementally honest. You don't share everything in the world with uh, the person on the first date. Uh, and then also, you, you do have to have a social filter, and you're just not blaring things out. Uh, to anyone, and so you want to be appropriate. And you also want to consider the other person. There are some people who who share uh, because it's all about them. They just want to get it off their chest, but they don't consider the other person that they're sharing with. And so that other person has to be able to steward the truth that you are sharing. So there's a lot of wisdom involved when it comes to when it comes to honesty. And so wisdom has to be driving your tongue when you are talking about doing koinonia. How close should I pursue true community with the opposite sex? Well, if you're not married to the person, I do not recommend it at all. I mean, within your family dynamic, you know, a dad to daughter or a mother to son, you can have koinonia up, up to a point, up to a, a point of wisdom. Uh, but if it's outside of that, you don't want to be that vulnerable and that transparent with the opposite sex, especially if you are married. Or if you're not, uh, you really want to do that with your spouse, the person that you are going to marry. Otherwise, this is something that you would do you know, man-to-man, woman-to-woman as appropriate. But you want to be careful when you start crossing gender lines. Can I have true community with an unbeliever? No. Because it's your union with Christ. They are alienated from God, so they can't share their relationship with God with you. Can true community be equal with all Christians, including relatives? No, uh, it can't. 
uh, sadly, there will be some relatives that will not want to go here with you. And you will have a deeper relationship with people who are not blood kin. It is our spiritual relationship that is our deepest relationship. And that does not automatically mean your family. Your experience with God. Nothing is more personal. Nothing is more vital. Nothing is more necessary to have true community. That is your experience with God. It is our deepest treasure. It's as personal and vital and necessary as you could ever get. And if you if you have one person in your life that you can share that with, you're experiencing Koinonia. Thank you so much for listening and watching the webinar. Go and enjoy each other in God-centered community. If you have any questions, as always, I want you to feel free to ask those questions. Let us know how we can serve you. We have a website and we have interactive forums. We have tons of resources. And so if we can serve you in any way, it would be our joy to do so. Thank you so much for watching the webinar. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.